Well, praise the Lord. I'm glad to see each of you here today. If you'd take your Bibles and open them to Revelation chapter 2 as we continue our study through the seven churches. We will be now on the third church, uh, which will be the church at Pergamon or the church at Pergamos. Uh, either one of those two names you will see uh, listed. Um, and really with the church at, at, at Pergamum, um, the question is where, where do you really start? Uh, because there's so much in these verses. There's so much that's associated with the church at Pergamum. Um, and so I'm going to try to draw your attention. And what I want to do is, here, here's what often happens. When you go through the seven letters to the seven churches, it's, you know, we read them and we think about them. And we think, well, that's a letter that was written specifically to a church in Pergamum. And um, so really, what does what is it? What does it do for us today? I mean, where does, where does it apply to us today? Um, what do we do with that particular letter? How do we take it and, and live out what is in this particular letter? Well, the church at Pergamum, and, and, and un, not unlike the church at Smyrna, okay, or the church at Ephesus for that matter, had been faithful dis, despite severe persecution. Now, when I say Severe persecution. The early church, uh, the churches, when you go back and you read the book of Acts, uh, and even, even, even just in the last uh, several years, uh, one of the things that I think that, that, that most folks don't understand, I've shared this with you before as we've gone through these letters, okay? We're finding persecution today to be at a level that, uh, of intense persecution today, to be at a level unlike anything we've seen really in the past. Now, we've had a lot in the past, but today it's even become more of an issue, uh, not here in the West per se, but around the rest of the world. I mean, I was sharing this this morning. I think sometimes we lose sight of this fact, and, and I don't know... And I don't know what it needs for us uh, to do to, to understand the significance of this, but to understand and realize that today, as we're sitting in this building, and I've shared this with you already once before in these series of messages, that there are people today that are losing their life for the sake of the gospel while we sit here. What does that mean to us? What, what, what is the significance of that for us? Well, as we consider this letter to Pergamum, one of the things that I want you to understand about the letter to the church at Pergamum, even though the church was standing in the time of persecution, there was still compromise that was going on in the church at Pergamum. And matter of fact, we see that when we get down into the details of the church. What do you mean by compromise? Well, they were eating food sacrificed to idols and participating in immorality. You see that down in verse 14. It's spelled out by Jesus himself in the letter. And so that's where they were. This topic of discussion had been addressed by Paul in his letter to the church at Corinth. He addressed it in the church or in his letter to the church at Rome. So it was not anything it was not anything new nor was the subject matter anything new. However, the church was experiencing a level of compromise. 
So for us today, I, I think when we consider the church in the West today, one of the things that we just need to, to understand and realize is the church in the West today, as we know it, going through and experiencing compromise, I believe that we are. And matter of fact, it's even becoming more of an issue today. Uh, there, are, there are significant debates today over whether or not the church should be more tolerant um, of what's going on in the world and culture. In other words, that the church should get to the point that we become more tolerant of what's going on and we should embrace some of it. Matter of fact, it, it is not uncommon for us to hear today that we need to kind of back up a little bit and then start embracing and understanding and realizing the culture is where it is and it's not going to get any better. So in, order, in other words, for the church to be relevant, the only way we're going to be more relevant is to embrace the culture. Well, that's just what Satan wants you to believe. Matter of fact, one of the things I want to share with you and one of the things that we're going to see in these seven letters is nothing has changed. The Word of God has not changed. Matter of fact, one of the things in the letter to the church at Pergamum that you're going to see is the one who has the, two, the sharp two-edged sword that is going to speak. And so when we consider that, what is it, what is, what is it that is going to be spoken it's the word. That's what's going to be spoken. And I understand today that, that, that folks sitting through a diet of, 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 of biblical theology today is not the most popular place to be. What I want to know today is what do I need to do socially, culturally, psychologically, all of those areas today, I need to know how to cope with everyday life. Well, I can tell you this. If you want to cope with everyday life, there's only one way to cope with everyday life. That's to understand what the Word of God has to say about it. And so for us, as we look at things changing, you know, are things changing? Well, I'm going to tell you, listen, if you don't think things are changing, okay, you don't need to look far. And you can tell and understand and realize that there are significant issues and changes that are taking place around the whole entire world today. And I know for us, well, you know, that's all over there. That's all across the oceans. That, that doesn't affect us here. Understanding and realizing that what takes place in the world affects the world as a whole. Revelation chapter 2 verse 12 is where we will begin I want you to notice as Jesus identifies himself as, as he's writing this letter to the church at Pergamum, he identifies himself as the one having a sharp, double, two-edged sword. Now, what does that say about him? Well, look at verse 12. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, the one who has the sharp, two-edged sword says this. Is there significance to that phrase, the sharp, two-edged sword? I believe that there is. Matter of fact, if you look back at chapter 1 of Revelation and look at verse 16, as we see Jesus Christ identified in chapter 1 of Revelation in verse 16, I want you to notice what he says. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. So what about these seven stars? Who are they? 
Well, if you look down at verse 20, it's for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand in the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches or the messengers of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands are the seven churches. And so in his right hand, he held the seven stars, the messengers. And out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. Well, what is that two-edged sword? Well, if you keep looking and keep reading, go back to Hebrews chapter number 4, and you'll find what the Scripture says concerning this sharp two-edged sword. And matter of fact, let me, Jesus isn't going to just offer his opinion in verse 12 of Revelation chapter number 2. It is the one who has the sharp two-edged sword that is going to speak. And let me tell you what he's going to speak. He's going to speak on behalf of what the Word says. Revelation, I mean Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. Look at verse 12. For the Word of God is living and it's active. And it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And piercing as far as the divisions of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So I want you to understand this morning, it's not a matter of our opinion. It's a matter of what the Scripture says. And so Jesus writing this letter to the church at Pergamum, Wants them to understand what it is that he is getting ready to share with them. The sword represents Jesus' words, penetrating to the deepest level of the heart. Jesus knows the circumstances. We've talked about this. When you look at verse 13, Jesus knew exactly the circumstances that the believers were encountering in Pergamum. He knew what they were. He knows what we're experiencing. He knows what we're undergoing. And every one of those today who lose their life for the sake of the gospel around the world today, God knows exactly what's taking place. He knows where they are. He knows the circumstances. I think one of the things that we lose sight of today is when we become a believer or we become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we think, oh, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, everything should just be a bed of roses. Everything ought to just fall into place. Everything ought to be just right. I think what we forget oftentimes is as a follower of Jesus Christ, here's what you need to understand. And please let me share this with you. This is the truth straight out of scripture. Here's what the word says. If you are my disciple, if you choose to follow me, here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, they hated me. They're going to hate you also. Matter of fact, if I were persecuted for who I am, you're going to be persecuted because you've chosen to follow me. But here's what we often do. We take every bit of that personally within ourselves. What I want you to understand this morning is persecution and suffering as a result of the gospel is not personal to us. It's an attack against Jesus Christ himself. So when you you come to verse 13, here's what Jesus shares in the letter. He said, I know where you dwell. And I'm thankful today that God knows exactly where we dwell. God knows exactly where we are. He said, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name, and did not deny my faith even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. That's quite a statement. You see, the Christians in Pergamum are commended in verse 13 
For they've persevered in their devotion to Jesus' name. And they have not denied the faith even amid such great hostility. You know, the question is often asked is how in the world do you hold on to your faith even in the midst of hostility? And some say, and I've heard them say this, well, you know, bless God, if the day comes when somebody comes and, matter of fact, if they were to walk in the door and they were to, to hold me at, gun, at gunpoint or something and say, if you don't deny the name of Jesus Christ, I'm going to shoot you dead right there where you are. And I've heard people say, oh, you don't have to worry about me. I'd never deny it. Really? You're looking down the barrel of a gun? And you're going to lose your life? Let me tell you what I share with people. This is the way we ought to look at it. My prayer is at that moment in time that the Holy Spirit of God will give me what I need. We have accounts in the scripture, Stephen, who lost his life for the sake of the gospel. Look at the disciples in the scripture. Look at those who lost. James lost his life for the sake of the gospel. People losing their life for the sake of the gospel today. I I think sometimes we've heard it so much, and none of us in the West have ever experienced anything like this before in our lives. I read it all the time. Matter of fact, I follow a group around the world today, and I I get reports every month from them to pray for these different ones As a matter of fact, they list them. Some of them they can't list by name or give you the actual location where they are because it puts them in greater jeopardy. But every single day, I'm getting reports out of areas outside of the West of people right now beaten, thrown into prison, losing their lives. I'm talking about families as a whole for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, we hear that over and over and over again. My question is, is what does it do to our hearts and our own lives. Well, I want to share with you four points this morning, and this is the first one. We're called to exercise boldness and courage. God is to be first in our affections and our actions. Matter of fact, when you go read and study the book of Acts, here's something that you will find very interesting. Whenever severe persecution came or suffering came in the days of the early church, here's what we're told in the book of Acts. They all of a sudden had great boldness. And the other thing that we find is the word of God grew in its proclamation. Why? Because it's during that time of persecution that that boldness that comes to Us as a believer through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that they had great boldness to share the gospel. Matter of fact, the word of God grew as a result of the persecution. And I know we hear this phrase all the time. Well, have you ever noticed on the very tops of the mountains, you don't see much growth on the top of the mountains. Most of the time it's all barren. It's down in those valleys. It's down in those low portions. It's down in those low parts that you find all of the growth. It's in the time of persecution and suffering that we do our most growing. Well, what about this fellow named Antipas in verse 13? What do we know about this Antipas fellow? We don't know a whole lot about him other than this. He lost his life. He sacrificed his life for the sake of Jesus Christ. And matter of fact, he's commended for it in verse 13. 
when you look at it, he says, and did not deny my, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. They were in the center of, of emperor worship, of cults, of idolatry, all of those things. That's where the church at Pergamum had found themselves. So they're in the seat of Satan himself. I can tell you this, look around us today. Where do we find ourselves in the culture that we live in today? It isn't much better. Matter of fact, everything today is vying for your time and attention. All of those things apart from God, vying for your attention, vying for your loyalty, vying for everything that's a part of your life. That's what he desires to draw from you. And matter of fact, Satan himself, if he can draw you and get you distracted from what we've been called to do, he's got you right where he wants you. Matter of fact, I, this is my opinion. I don't believe Satan minds you coming to church. You can come every week if you want to. Matter of fact, I don't believe Satan really minds you reading the Bible. As some would read it just to be reading the words on the page. Where the difference comes in is this. When we're attending church for the reason that we should be, assembling ourselves together as the manner of some is, and even so much the more as we see that encouraging each other and, and, and lifting up the body of Christ and being involved in ministry, now all of a sudden that's a different picture. What about reading and studying the Word of God? So when you read and study the Word of God, it's not merely reading pages or words off of pages, but the Word of God begins to make a difference in your life and who you are. You see, that's where the difference comes in. That's where the change comes in. He commends the church at Antipas or the church at Pergamon for that. And shares with us the name of Antipas, this individual's name in this portion of Scripture. But you see, the believers in Pergamos were also indicted for compromising. Matter of fact, point number two is Christians were tempted to identify with the world. You know, I hear we, you know, we read this passage of Scripture all the time. Most of us can quote it, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. So as we consider the words of Paul in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, it is interesting I think sometimes as we, as we look at it, if you want to turn there this morning with me, you can turn back to Romans chapter 12. But I want you to notice verse 2 specifically with me. I mean, we're real good with verse 1. I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Understand that. But you come to verse 2. This is what the church at Pergamum is being accused of. And not just accused, they're indicted for. Because Jesus knows exactly where they are. He knows exactly what it is they've been doing. Verse 2 of Romans chapter 12 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and Perfect. 
In other words, what Paul is saying, it ought to be lived out in our lives each and every day of God's work in our lives. It ought to be evident. Well, when you look at verse 14, go back to Revelation chapter 2 and look at verse 14. So what happened? But I have a few things against you. Because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam. Who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. To eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. I don't have time this morning to get into the full discussion of Balak and Balaam. But the history of Israel is replicating itself in Pergamum. For some in the church were participating in worship in pagan temples and indulging in immorality. That's what's going on in the church. Are things much different in our churches today? Let me, let me share this with you this morning. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, even things within the church can become idols. Things in the church we can hold on to so strong that they can even become idols. Here's what the scripture says. God himself said, you shall have no other gods before me. And matter of fact, he also said this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's everything of who we are. It's every bit of who we are. Let me share something with you this morning. God deserves all of our allegiance. I shared this this morning with, with my class. I, understanding this, he is the creator. We are the created. And as the creator, he is the sovereign one. That's who he is. And so since he created us and we understand our relationship with him and who he is and the relationship between us and him, all of our allegiance, all of our love goes to him, not to anything else. Matter of fact, I've seen it come to the point that where pews inside of a church are given more reverence than what takes place in the service itself. I mean, I've seen, I've seen places where the pulpit itself, this thing up here, the podium, whatever you want to call it, it has more prominence than anything oftentimes that has to do with what takes place inside of the church. God help us that we would ever get to the place that anything draws our allegiance, our love, and our attention above that that is deserved by God himself, that we would that we would allow any of it to go any other direction. Why are we here? Why do we come week after week? Why do we find ourselves in this place? See, the church at Pergamum, they didn't merely do what was wrong, but they were also teaching their view. Matter of fact, if you look at verse 14 again, Notice what it says. Because you have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam. 
And then look down at verse 15. So you also have some in the same way hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. And of course, we don't know about, we don't know much about the Nicolaitans. We, we just don't know much about who they are, other than their teaching of immorality and participation in things that were not godly. Oh, by the way, I don't know if you've ever realized this or not, but Balaam in Hebrew and Nicolaitans in Greek both mean conquer the people. I thought that was interesting. You see, some of the believers in Pergamum followed Balaam's teachings to try to get, to try to get Israel to, to curse, to bring a curse upon the children of Israel. And then some also followed the teaching of the Nicolaitans. In other words, idolaters. And those who practiced immorality. And then we come to point number three. So what about us? What, is it, what does it mean for us? We should do everything within our power to resist such temptations. Such temptations as to what? To allow the world to creep into and inside of the church. Why? Because we now belong to Jesus Christ. That's why. That's who we belong to. We belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ should receive all of our love, allegiance, understanding and realizing his sole authority and who he is. I don't know how many of y'all read very much. But oftentimes, understanding and realizing sometimes the significance of what I'm talking about with the church at Pergamon, the church at Smyrna, the persecution, and all of those things that they went through. I have two books. If you've never read them, I would encourage you to read them. I spend a lot of time reading, but these are probably, if you want to see something that's taking place today as we're speaking, Wanting to get a kind of a taste of what's going on in the round, around the world that we live in today, I have two books right here. As a matter of fact, here's what the title of them is. One of them is The Insanity of God. As a matter of fact, it's a true story of faith resurrected by Nick Ripton. If you've never read it, I would encourage, because I will say this to you. When you start reading this, you will not put it down till you finish it. Let me tell you why. Not only was Jesus persecuted... So are his followers to this day around the world. And what this is, it is a, an accounting of some of that that is taking place. Then once you finish that one, then you pick up the second one. The second one was entitled The Insanity of Obedience. And here's, the, and here's, what, here's what this one is about. It's about walking with Jesus in tough places. taking place today in the world that we live in. The letter to the church at Pergamum. They're commended for their, for their holding of the faith. However, they were allowing teaching to come into the church, to take place in the church that was compromising who they were. And I honestly believe this today. This is from my heart to you. 
You can say, preacher, you've done, you, you've done going off the deep end. Okay. But please listen to me because I'm, a, I'm in it every single day. True. There are, there are churches, there are ones today who are holding and standing firm to the faith. But we're on that slippery slope of what are we going to open the door wide enough for to allow to come into the church. Verse 16, Revelation 2. Therefore, what does Jesus say? To repent. Or else I'm coming to you quickly. And I want you to notice what he says. And I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. In other words, my word is what will bring the judgment. It is my word that will bring the judgment. See, it comes down to this point at this place. Because I can tell you right now, every one of us in this building, okay, I'm not going to answer for what you do, and you're not going to answer for what I do. Each one of us will answer for us individually. But what is the standard today? The standard is not everybody else that we look at around us. The standard is the Word of God. That's what it is. And matter of fact, to understand how to live in light of the standard, we got to spend time in the standard. we got to understand from the standard what it means to live in the world that we find ourselves in today. A world that seems to be spinning out of control, culturally just going... Uh, just out of control? How do we live in this kind of a world today? Well, my dear friend, if I could encourage you with something this morning, I'll tell you how you live in this world today. You live in this world based upon what's contained in the Word of God. Well, preacher, that's a cop-out. No, it's not a cop-out. It's called the truth. Because the day is coming where everyone in this building, I don't care who you are, everyone in this building will stand before the Creator. It's not going to matter at that point in time what your opinion is. Jesus said to repent or else I'm coming to you quickly. Failure to repent would have dire consequences. The Lord himself will become their opponent and will fight against them with the sword of his mouth, his word. And then finally we come to verse 17. Point number four. No idol should ever take the place of Jesus Christ in our lives. None, zero. Shouldn't. Does it happen? It can quicker than you believe. It doesn't take long, doesn't take much for that to happen. Verse 17, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And here's that same phrase again, to him who overcomes. To him I will give some of the hidden manna and I will give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. Hidden manna is an interesting phrase. 
you go back and you, you begin to go back and find out when manna first came about and when we first heard about manna. And matter of fact, here's an interesting thing about the manna. In the Ark of the Covenant, there was, there was a container that had manna inside of it. And it was placed inside the Ark of the Covenant. The manna was what God fed the Israelites with when they were in the wilderness. Nobody had ever heard of it before. Nobody had ever seen it before. And all of a sudden, God fed them with this manna from on high. But you make a transition from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And when you get to John chapter 6, here's what Jesus said. He said, I am that bread that comes down from heaven. So who's this hidden manna? Well, that's a tough one. It's a tough one to understand this hidden manna. But for most... This hidden manna that Jesus is speaking about here is about himself as the bread of life. Hidden? No. Available? Yes. A part of that we will be receptive of in eternity? Yes. What about this white stone in verse 17? What's the significance of the white stone? Well, during this time in the Roman world, the white stone generally had two significant aspects to them. Number one was it was often given as a means of judication to declare someone as being innocent. But a white stone was also used and was given to winners in the games. They were given white stones so that when they came to the celebratory banquet, they brought that white stone with them and it allowed them entrance into that celebratory banquet. Now, here's what I struggle with. It's the last part of verse 17. And a new name written on the stone which no one knows but he who receives it. There are a lot of thoughts. Matter of fact, I've, I've heard everything from what will be written on that stone, on that white stone, is Jesus' name. And I'm thinking, well, I, I don't know that it would be his name. But then I got to thinking of another passage over in Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. And I thought, there's got to be a connection here, okay? Verse 11, Revelation 19, and I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, double-edged, sharper 
sharper than any two-edged sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So what about this hidden manna and the white stone and a name? Here's what I believe it is. I believe that they are the heavenly reward that is waiting the believers for us. So the church at Pergamum, what, is it, what does it say to us and who we are today? Faithful and true. Our full allegiance, God has. Busy about what he's called us to do. Understanding and realizing that it's his word that's important, not our opinion. Understanding that we have a privilege. It's a privilege for us to be able to worship and to praise him. Understanding that it's a privilege for us to be called the child of God. Understanding and realizing that the Creator loved us so that He sent His own Son to take our place so that we could have a relationship with Him. I don't tell you, I don't know about you, but it just doesn't get any better than that. Amen? So for you today, here's what I challenge you with. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Savior? If you don't, if you don't, if you want to make sense out of what's going on in the world today, it'll become very clear to you to understand and realize that there is no relationship with God apart from Jesus Christ himself. Number two, persecution's coming, folks. Please listen to me. It is coming It is coming to a location near you. It is coming to the West. You say, well, how do you know that? Word of God says that it's coming. Word of God says it's going to happen. My question to you today, are you ready for it when it comes?